Welcome back to No One Understands. My name is Colleen McGrath. I'm a two-time cancer survivor and I'm your host. We knew we couldn't share the impact of Camp One Step in a single episode. For us to share the true magic of camp, we knew we needed to share a variety of experiences with you, our listeners. Today, in part two of our episodes on camp, you will hear two brand new perspectives. The first is from Aaron Hirecheck a former camper who is now a volunteer and a program director. You will also hear from a camper parent, Eric Conlin. Not only will they share their passion for camp with us, they will also share how a childhood cancer diagnosis forever tied their family's lives together. Let's welcome our first guest, Aaron. is such an honor to be on this episode. Um, I'm so excited as camp is near and dear to my heart. I currently live out in Colorado. I just wanted a little change of pace. Um, so I moved out here um, about a year ago um, with my now fiance. I work um, as an occupational therapist. I work in the schools. We do a lot of things outside a lot. We're really into hiking and camping and just enjoying being outside and uh, slowing down a little bit. I think that was something that I needed for a while. So um, yeah, so life is good and I'm just uh, enjoying everything while I can out here. Um, And I obviously need you to tell me who else lives with you and Jono. Oh, yes. Yeah, we, yes. So we live with our dog, Bear, and um, he is he's my buddy. I mean, I never thought I'd be a dog person, but um, he's the best. And uh, he brings... So much happiness to my life. I love watching him do every single adventure you guys do. Like, I love that he camps with you and does hikes with you and everything. And I also love that he seems to take the perfect selfie with you guys, too. Oh, yeah. He's very photogenic. He knows and very well behaved, probably more so than I am. It's been a really big blessing in my life to have both of them um, and to kind of be where I'm at. So, uh, yeah, I feel very blessed. Can you tell me a little bit about when you were diagnosed with cancer and what that looked like for you? Yes. So I was diagnosed back in 2000 um, with a brain tumor. Um, And at the time I was nine years old um, and just trying to kind of keep up with everybody and playing sports and being in school. And it was definitely a a very scary time just knowing that the whole world was going to change and, you know, I was going to be in and out of the hospital. I know I think it really impacted my family a lot. I just think it was very hard to process at nine. And I was, my cousin had passed away from cancer two years before I was diagnosed. So I think just kind of coming off of that and into now this new diagnosis and now it's me um, and just kind of seeing how it changed the dynamic of everything was definitely challenging and very hard to navigate, I feel like. Thank you for sharing that with me. Um can you tell me a little bit about after your diagnosis, what, you know, the treatment and things like that were like for you? Yes. So when I was diagnosed right away, we kind of tried some alternative things. I think the idea of doing chemo, I think that was just going to be a hard decision for my family. So I didn't start right away. So I took some time, but unfortunately I did have more changes in the tumor and more growth. So when I did start chemotherapy, it was about two years later. And that was also very challenging. I remember that was like the, one of the first meetings I ever had with the oncologist. And I think even just being on a different floor and meeting with the team and going over um, kind of a lot of the negative parts of it, of that you'll lose your hair and you'll be really sick and you'll be missing school. And all you can think about is like, 
is this going to get better? Like, you know, where am I going to go from here? And I think also one of the harder parts was being on the floor with a lot of other kids that you knew were sick. What's sometimes hard about being young, it's like, it's just a toss up between of like, how much are people sharing with me? But how much do I really need to know? But then how many questions do I have? So I think that that part was definitely challenging and also just being really sick. I mean, you kind of feel helpless. So I definitely remember those times and I feel like I definitely took a turn for the worse after um, those beginning weeks of chemo. It's pretty rough. I'm sorry. I know. It's it's rough. Tell me about when Camp One Step came into the mix as you were going through things. So camp was always talked about. So I was treated at Children's Memorial and there were pictures everywhere and I loved it. It, it just always looked really fun. At the same time, it I didn't know if it was for me because... I'm like, well, then I'd have to be away from home and that would be a new experience. You know, I kind of always thought sometimes I was like really tough where I'm like, I know deep down I'm struggling, but I don't want like people to know. And I also don't want to think that like, oh, I need help. Like I need to go somewhere. But one of the best parts about being diagnosed and still to this day, people that I think almost 22 years later, which is crazy, how much they recognize and how much they know you. I think that was a huge part about being treated was that I was so much more than my diagnosis and they knew that. And I think that they just saw a lot of my personality and just my happiness kind of being stripped away. And they were the first ones on it. So I feel like they gave small, subtle hints like, you guys should check it out. You should check it out. But that first summer was kind of tough, just trying to get used to the chemo and everything. And it was a big adjustment. Um, but the following year, two of my nurses, Katie and Kelly, um, and my oncologist were like, we just, we really think it would be great for you. Um, and my mom was like, oh no, she's going. Yeah. Like, no worries. We're, we're a year into this. Like, yeah, she'll be there. <laughs> so my mom like packed my bag and, and dropped me off. And, uh, yeah, I never, I never thought twice about not going again. It was, um, the best. What did you think, like, when people, when you understood that you were going to, like, a camp for kids with cancer, what did you think? Did you think it would be fun? Did you think it was a wild idea? Did you, you know, like, did you fight your mom at all about going or were you just, like, all in and ready for the experience? So I, I was definitely open to it because I'm like, oh, might as well just, like, give it a try. Um, and... I don't mind like being away and I, I like friends and I'm very social. I just didn't know how to feel. Like, are we going to talk? Like, what are we going to talk about? Like, I didn't know it was just full of like fun and games and everything other than cancer. So that was kind of where my thought process was, was like, and also like, I didn't think I was as, I guess I used the word depressed. I didn't think I was as depressed as I probably was. Yeah. So I think, I think about that stuff too. And like, I remember saying to my dad, like, what am I going to do? Get there and bedazzle a puke bucket? Like, I definitely didn't grasp the possibilities of the like community and activities and all the things we can be doing. It was also like very interesting. Like I was always thinking, how are you going to spin this to make this a positive experience? Sure. Like, you know, like you're sitting there and you're like, I like other than, you know, the doctors and nurses like talking to you and making conversation at the hospital. I'm like, I don't know how you're going to bring like fun and games into this because I'm like sitting here not feeling good. So I'm not quite sure how we're going to change that. So that was like one of the things I'm like, I'm very curious to see 
and what camp will do if something's going to fall from the sky and all of a sudden I feel great, but it's very interested in that. Well, tell me, tell me all about your first year. What was it like? What do, what do you remember when you think about your first year? How did you feel? Tell me everything. Um, all right. Well, here we go. So, you know, I dropped off. I was really homesick right when my mom left because I was like, great. Well, now I'm definitely here. And when I was there, someone came by and she was like, what's your name? And I was like, I'm Erin. She was like, my name's Erin. I was like, oh, great. Like, the last thing I really want to do is like meet somebody with the same name as me. That's like really bubbly. But yeah, so Erin Fulmer was actually the first person that I met there. Um, and she really took me under her wing and introduced me to um, a couple other people that were going to be my bunk mates. But it was great to be able to meet other kids and to talk about things that we enjoy outside of being sick. It was really, it was awesome to meet people the same age and talk about fun activities and just to do activities. Um, it was fun to be able to connect with um people from other programs, but also counselors who genuinely wanted to be there and make sure you had the best time. Um, and, it, you know, it is hard to explain, you know, when you when you see all those things that say like the magic of camp, I'm like, it's true, though, you know, for that time that you're there, like you totally forget that you were sick, um, or that you are sick. Uh, I just think that everybody that was there that first year and, and, and that continues to be there um, just makes it an experience about what life really should be about, you know, um, a life without cancer. And it's, it was the best. I mean, I think that's what really kind of sunk in. Um, and I know, obviously, I, I feel like, obviously, I, I got to tell a story because it's my favorite story. Um, but you and Jackie were in Excel and you guys stayed in the nicest place and you guys always snuck me the best food. And, um, and you said the dance is fun, but it's too hot in there. And I agreed. And so we sat on the deck and we just had a good time and we talked about life and, and it's something that I vividly remember of just thinking like, like, this is what life is about, like meeting genuine people. Um, but I couldn't have gotten there with, without having a brain tumor. So I feel like sometimes that's just how life works. Yeah. I always have friends who are like, how do you like, isn't it really hard and sad to take care of kids with cancer? And I'm like, no, the second you're there, it's just like any other kid, right? Like they just want to have experiences and joy and fun. And the cool thing about us is we can facilitate it with all the medical needs and all the adaptations that need to happen to make it. Um, safe for everyone, fun for everyone, and, and limitless, you know? Oh, I totally agree. Actually, can I share a, a quick random story with you? Yeah, of course. Okay. So, um, so Jono has a new job with care.com and he has his team and he works very closely with two people and one of them's name is Heather. And so Jono talking about how he um, does the adventure camp and stuff. And she was like, oh, I volunteer for a camp for children with cancer. And she's also a survivor. Um, so she's like probably in her forties and she had leukemia. And so John shared my story. So she's at camp this week. And last week she messaged him and was like, 
only you would understand how excited you get packing your bags. And it and it's true that like X amount of years later, like even as an adult, it's true the feels you get packing knowing that you're about to go to camp. You can't even explain it. You have to go there to know. Oh, it's the best feeling in the world. I love that. I yeah. love that. What stands out when you think of your first year at camp? The flower wars are my favorite. I love them. Tell everyone what a flower war is. You put flour in a tissue, tie it up, and you just throw it at people. Then afterwards, you jump in the lake. Um, so that is by far one of my favorite activities. Um, and s'mores are like my favorite summer treats. I love that we got to do that. I thought because I could see the other side of the lake that the lake swim was a good idea my first year. So I remember that. I did that. and You did the lake swim your first I year? I did the lake you swim my first year Lake Geneva. because I thought I could see the other side from the dock. I'm like, that's only going to take an hour. Um, How long did I'm it take? Su- I'm surprised I'm still not in the water. I think it took all day. <laughs> I think it took all day. I don't know. But uh, no, I definitely was one of the last boats in. Um, but such a cool experience that they offered that at camp. I thought that was really cool. And we did a baseball game and we did arts and crafts and we had a dance and all these different activities that were were fun and that was just the best I loved that and like the campfires and the songs when you think about camp what emotions do you associate with camp definitely happiness for sure Um, just the amount of happiness I feel as my 19th year with camp. um, I always feel hope that in the 19 years we have brought more campers, we have more programs. We have shown so many campers and so many families how much life is outside of that time that you're in treatment. The amount of hope that I feel from camp is pretty incredible and I know that's the best part about being here for as long as I have. And then also just grateful. Look at how much we've grown with people that are giving back, you know, and, and, and I'm in the health profession, you know, as an OT, like I do think about, yeah, we give back. I mean, we help people, but just not along the lines that people do at camp. It's incredible. It's incredible to watch. Like I always think about that with Jano, my fiance of someone that I never thought would share a love for camp, but you know, here we are volunteering together and I didn't know if it was going to be his cup of tea, but it's his cup of tea. It's his cup of tea, and I and I and I love that. It's fun when you see the other people in someone's life that goes to camp and how much they like respect it. How Jono fell in love with camp from you, and the sacrifices my family's made over the years to make camp a priority and stuff like that. It's so fun to see the respect, the admiration, all of that stuff that like not just the camper gets, but like the whole family feels towards the organization because they see what it did for their camper, right? And I just think it's so cool. And John was actually the first person I ever brought to camp. Look at that. You're going to marry him. Look at that. <laughs> Tell me what makes your friendships that you make at camp unique to other relationships in your life. So I think just being diagnosed as a kid, um, I think that your life experiences are already going to look different than your other friends. There's a lot that you learn. I think sometimes we also feel like we had to grow up a little bit quicker than some of our same age peers um, and just our friends. And I think when you meet your friends at camp, they get that. They get, you know, some of the fear or some of your worry. I think they understand, you know, some of those feelings that you have of those doctor's appointments, or they also just share the love of 
camp that you have and how a place like that could bring such happiness to your life where again, you know, sometimes your outside friends are like, well, that would just be so strange that you would be going to a camp with kids with cancer. And I'm like, but it's not like that. And I feel like when you meet people at camp and you know that you have that in common, although we never talk about it, you know that sometimes you are all kind of on the same wavelength. Mm -hmm. It's always nice that when you are having different feelings kind of circling through that you can go to them because you know that like right away, they're going to be a listening ear when they say, oh, I get that, that they really mean it. Um, and I'm and I'm so grateful for the friends that I have outside of camp as well. But when you have, meet, have those camp friendships, um, you know that they're, they're, they're going to be forever and that you know that even if you don't see them or it takes a little time to connect and get together and, um, you know, X, Y, and Z, I feel like when you do kind of circle back around, you pick up where you left off. And I just think that you just that common foundation is, is just strong and you kind of build from there. Yeah, it's when you're a kid going through cancer, a lot of times you're the only person in your community going through that. And it can feel, even if you have the greatest people around you in the world, it can be really isolating to feel like you're the only person with that experience. And then all of a sudden you get kind of like dropped at camp and everyone's been in your shoes and you feel less alone real quickly, you know? And I always think that's really awesome. And I always feel like too at camp, you don't always have to talk about it. Yeah. I sometimes I know people on the outside can ask just because they want to know. And and I'm always okay with that. But I, I also feel like at camp, I can step away from that. Um, I, you know, especially as a camper, um, I just felt like we could focus on other things and running around bald was okay. You know, and, and understanding that people had to stop and go get their blood drawn or go get fluids. Like that was a very normal thing. Um, and we all understood and there wasn't a thousand questions asked. So sometimes um, that was nice too. Very well said. As we know, you have been a part of camp for a very long time, both as a camper, a volunteer, now you're a program leader. So can you pick maybe a couple of your favorite experiences and share them with me? And you can pick from any of the, what, 21, 22 years? Um, oh gosh. Okay. So my best memories, let me see what I can come up with. Okay. Obviously I have to give, you know, a shout out that first year. Um, you, Aaron, Jackie really came through for me that year more than you'll ever know. Mm. So my best memories were probably at adventure camp. So I went the first year that was in, um, North Carolina and I loved it. Um, the summer, the first time I was in ACE and I met um, Lexi, Haley, and Kaylin, um, you know, some of my best friends to this day, you know, just meeting those girls and later um, meeting Rachel and, and meeting Julie. Um, and it, I feel like actually Julie, I, I made her come to camp, so I didn't actually meet her, but I was like, you're coming. And uh, I think it, uh, it was changed her life for the better as well. I think the transition from being a camper to a counselor, my first program as a counselor I actually was the Utah ski program um so yeah I know wild a travel trip me in the airport with all these campers woo um but it was awesome but um and then the opportunity to lead I always love this story uh we were at family camp and I heard oh and it was just mentioned that um Utah ski needed a program later and uh Chris Levesque was like you should do it just tell Daryl you can do it I'm like really? I'm like, you think it's going to be hard? Like, I don't even know. And he was like, 
it'll be a breeze. Don't even worry about it. Just tell him you're going to do it. So I just told Daryl, I was like, oh, I'm like, well, if I'm interested, if there's any open spots, he's like, seriously? He's like, if you're interested, send me an email when you get home. So I sent him an email. And uh, that first year that I was about to leave, I, I texted Chris um, that I was like, all right, we're taking off. And he told me, um, I want none of the blame and all the success for this program. I said, okay. And uh, that's awesome. It's been an honor truly to be on the other side. If I can help just one, one camper on that program and, and uh, change their life, uh, I'd feel successful. There's a lot of memories, but those are some that I uh, keep in my memory bank. Oh, those are some really good <laughs> ones and ones that bring back a lot of awesome emotions. So your program leader, your volunteer, what would you tell someone thinking about going to camp for the first time or someone considering sending their child to camp for the first time? What would you tell them? Well, I always, I start off strong and I'm just saying you're going to send them. You're not going to regret it. <laughs> uh, no, but I would have to encourage families um, to think that 30-something years later that this organization has been around that, and think about how we've gone from like, you know, 20 campers to like at one summer over, I think we were over 300, and thinking about how much our program has evolved, that there's something to be said for the magic that is there. Um and I think that the only way to do that is to experience it. I always think it's okay. I would tell families, ask all the questions that you want. I can guarantee someone has an answer for everything um, to make you feel safe and comfortable. I said, but the best thing I think you can do for your camper is to send them. And honestly, I feel like, and it's okay if they get there and they're, they're, they cry or they're sad or there's worry, um, but just know that, it will be a life-changing experience. And I know that for a fact that, um, again, I think it helps campers remind them that this cancer, this diagnosis, this treatment, it's going to be a snapshot of your life. But camp's going to be forever, you know? And what you're going to feel from that, you're going to remember that I can make it through, that that this, I'm going to look back and be like, that happened and it was just a little bit. But look at where my life is at now and look at how much I've gained from camp and look at how much I've, I've learned and I've experienced. And I also gave myself that opportunity to be happy during really dark times that I feel like I gave myself. That's what I would you know, tell families that give your camper that opportunity to be happy, to be a kid. There's nothing like going to camp and just a gentle reminder that, you know, we'll get through it. And I always feel like, um, in a, like an interesting way that like camp is a layer of the medicine you need to treat the cancer, right? Like, you need to feel the hope, the joy. You need to remember what it's like to feel like a kid, to have the will to like fight and do chemo and, and not just put on a brave face because you have to, but you shouldn't have to not enjoy the years you're sick too, right? And, and camp has a real, a really good way of like keeping your spirits high, your motivation high, your community high to not make, not just like all the years you'll go to camp, but like the years you're really sick, make them better too. You know, the only, the only good experience I can think of the years I was sick was at camp. Yeah. And I always feel like, you know, when parents say, I would do anything for my kid, keep that in mind. You know, when those applications come out and you think, oh, they're going to be away from home. And I don't know, but think that you would do anything for them. 
So make it happen. So we, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but like, why don't you tell me a little bit more specifically what it's like now to be on the other side of things and, and maybe what you get to watch on the ski program and, and watch the campers participate in and enjoy. And, and what's that like for you to watch them accomplish and experience, you know, some of our programs? To be on the other side, and especially with um, Utah Ski, where I feel like you see such progress throughout the week, um, is probably the best part about that program. I think the one thing that I think about that I think overlap both professionally and then um, from a volunteer perspective is we come on strong with these families when they're diagnosed with things. I think professionally, I always have to go over deficit areas. I always have to go over what's wrong. Um, And it takes us a little bit to kind of get to that positive part of, you know, where we're going to go with treatment and progress. And I feel that sometimes families can feel that same way when they're in the hospital. I feel like with camp, especially with Utah Ski, like we get off on a positive note right away. We brought somebody out to Utah. Okay. We got them on skis. We got them on a snowboard. We got them down the hill, you know, like, or I shouldn't say the hill because it's definitely not. It's a mountain. (laughs) I feel like even the bunny hill, it's steep. Being able to help encourage these kids and know that from the very beginning, like here we are, you can do it is the best part about it because I just feel like sometimes you can be very defeated in different areas um, of your life, especially having a cancer diagnosis. Um, And I feel like when you get to camp and, and you're up there on the mountain, you watch campers go from the bunny hill to like greens and blues and Uh, you know, the moments when your campus are on black and you're like, oh my gosh, thank goodness it's Friday. It's incredible to see for that week how many kids believe in themselves um, and how many kids um, thought that they could never do it. And here they are. Um, And I feel like the other best part about my, um, about that program is when kids are on the bunny hill or when campers are on the bunny hill and I'm chasing them up and down and and we're doing things together just to encourage them and to try something new, because I know that sometimes that can be unsettling. um, And, but you know, I feel like by the end of the week, we don't have anybody on the bunny hill and we have campers doing things that they never thought they would do. Um, And it, And it's not just Utah, Um, you know, I can speak to that as a program leader, but being on some of the other programs and volunteering with every activity, you know, the swim test, the lake swim, um, fishing, just the fact that they were able to participate in a week of activity. They got out of bed, they got dressed and they participated. Um, Those are huge wins. And I think those are huge wins that camp made possible to know that I supported them or I was there or I was just a very small part of it, um, makes you feel good. And you hope that those, that's what those campers remember. Mm, That's awesome. You're a very big part of it. Let's be honest, right? You're an adult. You have to take PTO to do camp, right? You're going to get married and you have, um, there's a lot of things to balance, right? And right. We're not kids anymore. We don't have a ton of time off of school and all this stuff that our parents are trying to fill. So as an adult, when you have to make choices with what you're going to do with your free time, what what makes you keep making camp a priority? I think it uh, comes down to the fact that um, I think the best thing that I can do as a person, as a survivor, um, is give back to a place that saved my life. And I just think, again, something that still kind of 
resonates with me is when I hear people that are diagnosed with cancer, I think, I can't believe we're still doing this in 2022. Um, but I think how hard that has to be as an adult. Um, and I feel like how hard that has to be as a kid. The best thing I can do is to turn that experience around. Um, so I do every year I try um, to do a couple programs. I've been trying to switch it up so I can do different ones. Obviously, Utah is my priority. Um, the family ones are very important to me because it, it does really impact the whole family. And I think it's important that everybody's taken care of. Um, and then I have summers off, so I, I try to see. I've done sibling camp, and I kind of go back and forth between that one and summer camp. I just think that that's what life's all about is paying it forward and to think about the people that have saved my life. And, um, that's probably, that's probably the best thing I can do volunteering is making sure that, um, moving forward that these campers have, that's some of their best days, um, are at camp and, are, and surrounded by the best people and making sure that we can make their days the brightest. That was beautiful, and yeah. here we are crying. Thank I goodness. Know, but this it's, is true. <laughs> it's true. I love, as you know, Eric Conlin, a camper parent, is going to be the other half of this episode. And um, if I recall correctly, you know them quite well. I do. And I, um, man, just, even just to share a little story, I met Maggie when she was five months. I vividly remember her mom taking her out of the carrier. And um, she was just darling. And then little did I know she would be in the room across the way from me. And then when she started walking, she would be in our room. And she always used to play in this little kitchen. And she used to come by and we used to share flaming hot Cheetos together. <laughs> Mom was like, I don't know why she likes these. Um, and I'll never forget when um, she would like sit on my lap. And uh, it was just the best. And I told her, I was like, I'm like she's got to go to camp. I'm like, end of story. I'm like, I don't care if she's only like two and a half. I'm like, she's got to go. Um, and their family has been such a blessing in my life. I mean, when we text, we always say like, I just can't believe this many years later. And we've exchanged Christmas cards and gifts and we've been a part of big life milestones. And Maggie was out here in Colorado and I got to have dinner with her. And it was, uh, again, outside of camp, a, a bright spot, you know, during a dark time. And uh, I thought the best thing I can do for that family is sender and uh and they did yeah so, yeah oh, I'm so excited I, I can't wait for Eric to share their story and tell the the dad the parent perspective of what camp is like um and then hearing you guys on the same episode will be so fun when your journey started together you know I just think that's so cool honestly I wouldn't change this journey for for anything it's been um something I'm incredibly grateful for. Uh, and, you know, I know which always sounds kind of crazy, like who wishes for this, but um, if everybody could get a little piece of everybody I've met along this journey, I think uh, the world would be a better place. Well, Aaron set us up perfectly to welcome our next guest. Eric Conlin joins us today to share his family's experience with childhood cancer and their love for Camp One Step. Let's welcome Eric. My name is Eric. I'm married with two children, and our second child, Maggie, is a camper. She was born with rhabdomyosarcoma, 
our girls are now growing. Maggie is now 20 years old, a junior in college. My oldest is 23 and living in Cincinnati. Her name is Katie. And my wife, Helen, is a special ed assistant at a local elementary school, uh, working hands-on with uh, some really neat kids. Uh, myself, I've been in the financial industry for many years. I was a floor trader in Chicago for 22 years and then three years off the floor. And now I've kind of reinvented myself in the world of financial education, helping uh, uh, folks figure out how to manage investments and uh, trade on their own. So um, I love the Green Bay Packers. I like the golf and we love to spend time uh, up North Wisconsin with our family. Oh, that's the best introduction ever to you into the Conlin family. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, we are the biggest fans of the Conlins here at Camp One Step. Um, your whole entire family has a huge imprint on not just my heart, but on our whole team here. So we're very grateful for you guys and for all the time you spend with us. The feeling is very mutual. Everybody we've touched at camp is special from the campers to the board. It's a very special place to, to not only us, but, you know, especially Maggie. You guys are all wonderful people and we, we love spending time with you. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Maggie, it was pure magic when you met her at camp. It, the absolute best. And it's um, exciting now to know that she's all grown up and someday she'll be at camp as a counselor and to be able to have the opportunity to watch her have that same effect on kids is going to be so fun for us. I'm really pumped about that. <laughs> she's excited about it too. Believe me, she already talks about her future life in a career where she's going to allocate some of her vacation time to be with campers. Yep. How cool is that? How cool is it that like we have an organization where like the kids prioritize their future around making sure it times allotted for camp. Like that says so much, you know? It's very cool. It just shows how impactful camp is on these kids. Why don't you give us a little bit um, of a crash course about, you know, finding out that um, your daughter had cancer and, and what that looked like for you guys? Yeah, sure. Our daughter, Katie, was three years old when Maggie was uh, about to be born into this world. And normal pregnancy, everything was A-OK, -okay, no warning signs or any concerns. Once uh, she got through the birth canal, the pediatrician called for specialists right away and she, there was something wrong and uh, unbeknownst to me at the moment her tongue was protruding out from her mouth now in hindsight that was a gift that was we're so thankful that it was protruding that way that being said there was a tumor under her tongue and the concern was her breathing at that moment so I called in the pediatric specialist and uh, found out that she could certainly breathe with that mass in her mouth and then it was just about stabilizing her and getting her how to learn to eat uh, on her own Initially, all we knew was she had a growth under her tongue. We didn't know what it was. They did a scan the next day and found out that it was solid. They were hoping it was liquid. And born on the weekend, I recommend you never have a child on the weekend <laughs> because a lot of the specialists are gone. However, the neonatologist at Evanston Hospital called in a favor to one of the great doctors at uh, one of the ENT doctors at Children's in Lincoln Park. That's where um, Maggie was treated. He dropped by on his way to work early on Monday morning. Maggie's born on Saturday morning. He said, let's just get her feeding, get her um, out of here. I'll take care of her. Put us in really good, you know, in a really good position to feel confident that he was going to really take care of our daughter. She spent about a week in the hospital and uh, when nurses and doctors taught her how to feed, just kind of had to hold a, hold a bottle around or hold her lips around a bottle so she could suck and everything was normal. So she was kind of moving along, hitting all those benchmarks. And so a week later she came home. Fortunately, we were three blocks away so we could go back and forth. 
fast forward about three more weeks, four more weeks, I guess it was three more weeks. We went back to see the doctor, Dr. Matalozo. And he said, you know, this looks like it's starting to grow. She's growing. She's feeding. Let's just go in there, take it out, and, uh, you know, move on. His initial thoughts were, he was explaining to us, he thought it might be uh, what's called a teratoma. Sometimes you get in these little masses and you find little remnants of hair and teeth and bones. Of So he kind of envisioned, you know, make an incision on her tongue and kind of scoop it out. So we arranged for a surgery. And she was five weeks old. And we went down just thinking it was going to be a quote unquote routine surgery. Just get this mass out of her mouth so she can normally develop. And uh, off we went. So we handed her over to uh, Dr. Matalozo and her wonderful fellow, uh, her name is Dr. Wei. We're still in touch with her, somewhat of a Dr. Matalozo too, believe it or not. And they just, they, you know, whisked her away and we went in the waiting room. You know, I don't know how many hours passed, but my wife, Helen, was actually uh, down in McDonald's of all places in the hospital when Dr. Matalozo asked me to come see him after the surgery. And he, you know, very quickly and in my mind, bluntly said, well, it looks like it's rhabdomyosarcoma. And that's just a giant word. I had no idea what that meant. And he said, uh, we think it's cancer. So we took out as much as we could, sewed her back up, and uh, it's going off to pathology. And uh, we'll talk about next steps, you know, once we get there. That's kind of the shortened version. So uh, I had to break the news to Helen. Uh, we got her out of recovery and started learning what this path would look like and got introduced to an oncologist that we potentially were going to work with. He explained some of the treatment plans and how that would look. So that was that was day one, age five weeks old, that we found out that she most likely had cancer. Um, and that got confirmed pretty quickly, that it was rhabdomyosarcoma. So rhabdo for short. Um, soon to find out that's an extremely rare cancer. And at the time, uh, roughly 300 kids in all of North America got it each year. So not very common. Wow. I guess I, I knew Maggie was young when she was diagnosed. I don't really know that I'd ever put together that she was like a newborn. Yeah. <laughs> you guys had just brought your little girl home and it was, I don't know that I realized the diagnosis kind of came along at the time of birth. And stuff. It's hard to keep track of all that, but of course it's ingrained in our minds. So, um, so we got that confirmation. We did meet with Dr. Matalozo again and Dr. Walter House. Dr. David Walter House was her oncologist who happened to be on the National Rhabdo Board, which is great news and comfort to us. The next plan was go in for a, a surgery the next week to try and go in and get clean margins. So you don't want to lose the functionality of what a tongue does, which is you know a, a right. lot, talking, chewing, digesting. And uh, they were going to also do a spinal tap and also put in a central line for the chemotherapy. So she went back in, it's, I guess it was like literally the next week. And again, we handed off the doctors to Dr. Wei and Dr. Matalozo and just, we just knew she was in great hands. Did have to sign off for a hemiglossectomy, which is like a removal of half the tongue if they had to. And they said they wouldn't if they, unless they absolutely had to. And that was, yeah. you know, kind of a scary thought. Unfortunately, they didn't have to do that, but they took out a portion of it underneath that kind of made it uneven on one side or the other. But they got all but some, you know, microscopic cells. They didn't get completely clean margins. So that began, I guess it was going to be a 42-week regimen of chemotherapy with radiation probably thrown into. That was a discussion that came later. So she was in the hospital getting chemo right then and thereafter. It was every third week for seven full days in the hospital and chemo at home in between. Our job, our goal, our role was just to keep her as healthy as possible and keep her moving forward on the treatment path. So you think you have a newborn coming home and you think that's going to be a challenge in itself, right? To have mm -hmm. 
Katie running around and have a new baby. Um, right. Tell me a little bit about what that like looked like and felt like to be like, oh, wow, this is not what we planned for. Yeah. And quite honestly, Colleen, you're just walking around numb and in shock and disbelief. But at the same point, you just got to move forward. What does that look like? What does that mean? You know, everything else just grinds to a halt in your world, right? Fortunately, mm -hmm. the people I work with said, just take care of your family, do what you got to do. And I could completely disconnect. The other concern was Katie, a little, you know, vibrant three-year-old who, you know, all she knew is her little sister. She was looking forward to it. Now she's in and out of the hospital and she's sick, but she doesn't know what that means. So we tried to keep her life as normal as possible. My sister-in-law came down and really kind of swooped her up and kind of just kept her in all of her activities and uh, summertime fun things kind of moving forward. So we just marched forward and, and kind of tried to gather as much information and figure out how this was going to look now and in the future. It's, it was hard to forecast a prognosis of what it meant but you know it's pretty scary and daunting when you look at the numbers mm -hmm. the blessing and you know the the fortunate thing is it presented itself right away uh this yeah. particular type of cancer doesn't always present itself the other kind of blessing in this whole thing is she was a baby she didn't know any better she couldn't mm -hmm. anticipate what chemo does to you if her body didn't like what was you know how it felt she would just throw it up and move forward but she would run around you know she was running around that but she was just doing her baby things at that point uh, talking to Dr. Walter House, he did have us go see a pediatric radiation oncologist to talk about the intermix of radiation in this case. And typically this is introduced in 42 weeks of chemotherapy and radiation after he saw her and saw where it presented. And we were adamant against it from the, the get-go because we all agreed that radiation would not be the best for this case because they would have had to radiate her from below her chin up and that would have caused potential brain damage and dozens of plastic surgeries to try to keep up the growth of the lower part of her face with the upper part of her face. And that just didn't make any sense to any of us. So Dr. Walterhouse agreed and said we were just going to make some other concessions to make sure we treated this as best as we could. And uh, then in September, uh, she had another little growth, right? Kind of like a liquid filled growth, right? At the suture mark underneath her tongue. And so they you know, sent it to pathology and there was live cancer in it. So that was a, a setback to be treating, you know, almost two months, I think was the time frame. And the meds weren't doing their job completely. We had sure. to mix it up. So he stopped that 42-week regimen and then really kind of put together a, a plan, which ultimately led to a, a, a total amount of 19 months of, of chemotherapy only from start to finish. But that was a setback and that was a concern that the stuff was still going after her cells and in her body. So that began weekly in the ho or every three weeks in the hospital for a week chemo at home, which ultimately graduated to day hospital for a week, every three weeks, and then chemo at home. And then all these blood meds to get your blood levels back up, white cell counts and red cells counts back up before they hit it again with chemo. We just started marching along. Katie started going to uh, preschool. It was her second year pre preschool, and we we're just trying to alternate as best we could. So I would take turns at the hospital, spend the night, so would Helen. We'd kind of go back and forth, living our life. It's all about just trying to keep everybody unhealthy away from our kids kind of like the whole yeah. covid thing we were we were kind of right. obsessive with like, keeping people away you know, in hindsight we look you know if you had a cough you had a cold or you didn't you know feel right you weren't coming near us because we wanted to preserve her because we didn't want to miss a week of chemo we didn't want her to get right. a, a, a a fever which could cause infection and lots of bad things so we just did life as best we could taking care of her and katie and uh, just hoping and praying for the best. And like, my, my wife is a very faithful woman and she just, she couldn't even pray. She just had other people pray for it because she was just too immersed, you sure. know. 
I, I definitely didn't realize how young Maggie was. I think I had this two-year-old mark in my head for some reason, and maybe that's closer to the age she finished treatment. That's right. And I think a lot of that's from our friend Erin Hirecheck, who's the other half of this episode, because she talks about meeting Maggie in the hospital. And I, I don't know, maybe somehow I just kind of picture them in my mind, like Maggie being a little toddler and Erin in the hospital. Together. You're spot on. Yep, you're spot on. Erin, you know, we met her. In day hospital, she ended up being our kind of our roommate. She and her mother were there. And a lot of times it was Helen and her Maggie with Aaron and her mother. We were roommates. And, you know, Aaron at the time had to be 10-ish, 10 years old, maybe 10 or 12. I'm just super lovely and so excited to have this little cute little baby yeah. you know, nearby. And uh, she loved on her. And Maggie was in this cute little crib. And she's learning to walk. And she's learning to stand. And Aaron would feed her, I remember, you know, like goldfish crackers through the little crib at the, at the hospital. But she just loved on her. And she would tell us about this place called Camp One Step. And we just couldn't even go there. You know, we knew how cool it was for her. Mm-hmm. And she was like, someday Maggie's going to go there. It's going to be the greatest place. And we just couldn't even begin to think how that could be possible. Right. So we're just fighting for her life, not knowing, you know, the next week, let alone the next month, the next year. But she planted that seed. Oh, that's awesome. We knew how magical it was for her. Little did we know that, you know, how it would become for Maggie. It's so funny. I I vividly remember being told about camp and being so sick and being like, you people have to be insane to be telling me to go to a sleepaway camp where like you feel horrible or you're in the caregiver position and like you're just trying to think about making sure that you follow this full-time job of being a caregiver and taking care of like all the medical stuff for a small child like it's it it seems so far off and then you don't learn till you go that like maybe that was actually meant to be a priority a little bit, you know, um, the way that all falls into place. Absolutely. For these kids to give them hope and let them see people like them going through the same sort of things, it's it's super powerful. So you talk about Aaron planting the seed. When did camp come back up for you guys? Because obviously Maggie couldn't have started until she was seven. So you guys obviously finished treatment at some point. Things I'm sure were looking good. Tell me a little bit about that and then where camp was reintroduced to you guys. Maggie's whole course of treatment was was 19 months start to finish. So she was almost two when she finished. Scale back, you know, as they typically do from monthly scans to quarterly to biannually to annual scans. As you know, like, you know, five-year mark is pretty magical, you know, big number for most cancers. To this day, you know, Helen um, still likes to say, you know, to say you're cancer free, you just, it's just a tough word to say. So off treatment, you know, Maggie's basically, you know, almost 18 years off treatment. There hasn't been anything since then, but it's always, it's always there. It's always going to be a fear, right? Yeah. So it's hard to make it permanent, I think. It's thrown around pretty casually. And I think remission is pretty casual too. Yeah. So we kind of settled on, you know, off treatment as our comfortable word. I like that. Because I think you're kind of protecting yourself too by saying that. Absolutely. If, if it were to come back, then it's not like, wait a second, I was told I was cancer free, right? So anyway, fast forward, we'd always had hopes of getting back to Wisconsin. We just wanted to transition here at some point, but we weren't going to do that until Dr. Walter Haas said it was okay. 
And he was really comfortable and confident with the people at Children's of Wisconsin. And so he said, she's she's in a good position. I think we did continue to go down and see her for a little bit, but they transferred her service up here all over history. And our go-to from that visit has been Deb Schmidt. And she's a big, big camp fan and full energy and has become a family friend of ours, of course. And she's the one who reintroduced the thought of that once Maggie was like, seven. Yeah. What did you think when it was brought back up? Like as, as a mom and dad, what did you think? Maggie is a very confident, outgoing kid. And when she heard about it, she immediately wanted to look into it. And, and we did look into it. You know, we talked to Deb about it and she said, oh, what a great place it is. Talked about all the care that's there and all the caregivers and doctors and nurses, but most importantly, the kids and the activities and the normality. I was wondering if it was appropriate for a survivor to go there. You know, she was quote unquote, a survivor, not undergoing treatment. We were reassured that it was really a balance of both kind of kids, you know, the kids are undergoing and then kids that are beyond their treatment plan. So we looked into it and uh, ultimately agreed that we should let her go when she was age appropriate. That was right after her second grade year. So what do you, what are you thinking when you're driving Maggie to sleep away camp at seven years old? Yeah. So she's, uh, you know, she's looking forward to it. I know Helen's worried about how she's going to do without her daughter there. I'm okay with it, thinking, you know, they got to know what they're doing. You know, there's doctors and nurses there. And so we're driving to this beautiful campus, you know, George Williams College at the time down in Lake Geneva. And uh, you get out of the car and it's just like, just energy and fun everywhere. You know, the Drescher families are handing out ice cream. I remember that. This is the first time we met Rachel, who became a great mm-hmm. family friend, friend of ours too. Support, you know, and honoring their their brother who had gone through cancer. So that's how they give back. Then we saw Dr. Morgan. We saw doc, another doctor. We saw all these people familiar from Children's. And we're like, what is going on here? This is amazing. You know, these people are giving up their vacation time to come help these kids. I don't recall if that was when we saw Erin for the first time as a counselor. I'm not sure if it was then or later on, but she became a counselor there. So there was another comfort. But we dropped her off. And we felt good about where she was and what she was going to be doing. Now, she didn't know any other kids because she hadn't been going through treatments. She hadn't been spending time at Children's and Day Hospital or doing anything, that kind of stuff. But the kids that she met on that trip, she is still good friends with. I mean, that's that's what happens at camp. So we dropped her off on a Saturday, I think back then is what it was. And I think it was Monday. I got a call at work and I missed. It was for someone from camp. So I call back and I'm worried, but wondering what's going on and whomever the person was at the time said oh i'm so glad you you called me back maggie's been following me around since yesterday begging me to call you she wants to stay another week i'm like what (laughs) two days (laughs) because back then you had the option of one week or two weeks we chose one week and figured that would be plenty and she's been there two days and she wants another week. So I said, well, I, I need to talk to my wife about this and see what we were thinking. I went home that night and we talked about it. And you know, we figured it, if she was feeling that strongly and adamantly about it that quickly, it must be pretty special. She must be having a pretty good time. So we called back and uh, said, yeah, absolutely. She can stay another week. I know you don't do this anymore. So that was before those kind of rules changed. Um, but my concern was, oh, so we'll pack a bag and we'll bring it down so she has plenty of clothes. And they said, nope, nope, we'll take care of it. We'll wash her clothes. We'll take care of everything. You just uh, take care of yourselves and we'll see you in a week and a half or whatever it was. So that began a, a stretch of, I don't think Maggie missed camp. You know, each year she was at least one program every year um, until last year. This is the first year she hasn't been in a camping, uh, a camp program. That's incredible. So from seven to 19, didn't miss a year. Yep. Sometimes it was multiple trips and 
whatnot. She went to Washington, D.C. She went to Utah multiple times, different seasons. She did Dude Ranch. She did Winter Camp multiple times. Yeah, it's just, she met her people there, Colleen. She met people that get her, you know. All these kids are super special and unique. They just get life. It's, you can't even begin to imagine what these kids have gone through or what they've seen, what they've felt. But they're just they're just special, as you know, and just like you are, Colleen. In these, I just can't say it enough. I mean, it's just it's just fun to watch these kids grow up, mature, and then look out for the other kids. You know, they care about life and you know, loving on, on kids that don't always have great opportunities that other kids do. Absolutely, it's very well said. Um the best part of that community for me when I went to camp was seeing cancer survivors because all I knew was losing someone to cancer. So I didn't have a clear perspective of what a cancer survivor looked like or that you could have a quote unquote normal life again, or, you know, you could go back to school and sports and, and, and seem like a kid, you know? And so those kids to me I think they don't realize how big of an impact they have. Even if you're coming at a year where you're done with treatment and you have a full head of hair and you might from a perception be very healthy, right? Like you are what a lot of the really sick kids need because you need to know what your life can look like. Um, So to me thinking about that, like Maggie is such a gift, right? Like to come at that age and at that, at that place she was in her health because um, it's an example to kids, right? That like you, you do get to get your childhood back in all these things that might feel very far away at the time. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I guess I never really thought about it that way, but you having lived it would know better than most, right? And uh, everybody's the same at camp. That's what's so yeah. cool. Like, um, you know, they don't, you know the, like you were saying, the, the survivors and the, and the patients, nobody categorizes them amongst the kids anyway. Yeah. You know, you spoke to all these really incredible people we have at camp, right? We have um, all the nurses and doctors and awesome volunteers and stuff like that. But Maggie reminds me often in her group of friends that they always prioritize helping their peers first. Everyone is there to make friends and bonds and friendships, and it becomes the second family. They always try to help each other before they let the adult do the adult roles, right? Right. Which I always thought was so cool. It's this like little instinct they don't even know they have sometimes. (laughs) Camp also empowers that too. You know, the counselors and the staff know to let that happen, you know, let that evolve, you know, organically. What was Maggie like after camp? Like, tell me about that. It's just so joyful and just so happy and just she couldn't stop talking about all the experiences, all the people, all the places they went. And it just blew our mind, too. But she just had a, you know, a sense of empowerment and confidence that continued each time she went to camp and throughout that experience. All she could talk about was like next year, two weeks for sure. I think it was like immediate, like it wasn't even a talking point. It wasn't a question in her mind. She was going for two weeks. Then she started talking about all these other programs because all we were aware of was summer camp in Lake Geneva. So it was pure joy, excitement, confidence, all those things. And it was this nonstop uh, chatter about next year. Did you anticipate when she went that this could become like a fixture on like, you know, the DNA of Maggie's year every year? No clue. I mean, it became her. It, it helped define her. The people at camp, 
people like you that took her under her wing and cared for her, people like Rachel, people like Aaron, that she'll be in touch with you guys for the rest of her life. No doubt about it. Same. I have no doubt about that either. Jeff included. You know, when he came on board, I mean, you know, same sort of personal care about every camper there um, and concern that they were, you were doing things right for the campers and their families. Yeah. And that's what I really appreciate about camp. There's always that great communication before, during, and after programs. It's a continuous, how are we doing? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? How can we help you? That's what I get that's often great. from you guys. Well, how can I help you? I'm like, well, how can I help you? Right? So <laughs> of course I want to help that's because awesome. this place is magical. And every sick kid that I've ever met through this whole journey since Maggie, and I've met a bunch of them, you know, the first thing I mentioned this camp and some kids hadn't heard of it. Some had, and some were skeptical, some weren't, some didn't get to go there in time, you know, all these things. But I know how important and impactful it can be on kids and their families. You've said it, and I know it is true. Camp can save lives, and it helps save your life, I know, Colleen. And uh, it's done that for many other kids, and every kid that's going through this horrible disease needs to know about camp. When you think about some of the experiences Maggie's had at camp, do, does anything stand out to you? There's so many, Colleen, but you know, she, there, there really is. She's had such great, amazing experiences, but I know she loved that Utah ski program. She went on it twice, and she's she's the best skier in our family, thanks to that. You know, We also used to ski. She was going down double blacks with some of these instructors. But you know, again, it's these people that volunteer and connect. Uh, she went there twice. Um, the second time Aaron was led the, led the trip. So that was fun. So they got to ski together and be together for that, that trip. From a hospital room in Chicago to Maggie being a camper on a program, Aaron higher check leads, like what a world. In Utah. Yep. Right. Exactly. Utah. What so a world. Magical. Right. And, yeah. and I could go on and on with Aaron and our connections with her. But the first year she went to Utah, um, these volunteers that come out to help the kids ski. This one couple comes from England and they spend part of their winter in Utah and the husband is in a sit ski and he helps these kids ski. And they had a little baby at the time. And, uh, and then they came back the next year and Maggie got to see them again, but she's telling me the stories of, of this family that's come from England to be in Utah and then spend part of their time in Utah giving back to camp because it was so impactful to them. You know, learn how horseback ride and the dude ranch, all those things but i think it just boils back down to the people that share camp with her be it you know someone newly diagnosed or someone that's been cancer free uh, or off treatment for 10 years like her it's just a special place surrounded by special people that's incredible it's very powerful what would you tell another parent thinking about sending their kid to camp for the first time well i would try to be considerate when i tell them this but i would i would tell them to don't think about it do it. You have to do it. I would reassure them of all the, you know, the medical concerns that there might be there. And fortunately, Helen and I didn't need this, but one of the biggest values I see of camp is respite for the family and the parents and the other kids. We met a couple families. You know, I remember one specific time uh, when Maggie was going to Dude Ranch, 
this couple, you know, they've been 24 seven care for their kid for three years and they were going to go spend some time alone for that five or six days. They were just going on a road trip around Wisconsin or something. They were so excited, yet they were a little bit nervous about what was going to happen at camp. So Helen and I had the conversation with them saying, you know, to reassure them how everything will be okay for, for the parents and the other children. Then they can go, you know, have a quote unquote normal week, as can the child that's going to camp. I would almost insist they have to go and try it because uh, I have yet to see a kid regret going to camp. But. <laughs> oh, couldn't say better. You you really hit on something that I think about often is um, on some of the earlier episodes we did for the podcast, it came up from the experts a lot that you have to take care of yourself to be able to take care of your child. Yeah. Um, and that seems impossible in the midst of treatment, right? And so going to camp should be amazing for your kid, but it should also be really amazing for those caregivers and for those siblings to have a minute to breathe, to do things at their own pace, to do things maybe with their parents that they haven't done in a long time. You know, I think that's really, really important too, for sure. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. It's, I like what you said. You have to be able to take care of yourself before you can take care of your kid. Absolutely. Oh, let's, I couldn't say any of this better, Eric. I'm so glad to have you today. We're so fortunate to have you here um, and to have you tell us all about camp. No. Oh. You know, it's my pleasure. I, I feel strongly about camp and I'm as active as I can be. It's meant so much to, to Maggie and our family that, uh, you know, I look forward to having camp being a part of my life, the rest of my life. And I know it will for Maggie. Um, we love to point people in your direction for all, all reasons, because what you do truly changes kids' lives and saves kids' lives. No One Understands was brought to you by Camp One Step. You can learn more about Camp One Step by following us on social media at Camp One Step or by visiting us on our website, camponestep.org.